Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Let's give the Lord some praise together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands now and just extend some praise to him. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for you. Hallelujah. 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 Look at your neighbor tonight and tell him I'm glad for the Lord. Man, you may be seated. Lord bless you. The life and times of Moses is a very colorful and storied set of events. It takes place over a span of several decades, all of which lead up to a particular point in Moses' life that he would have to make a very clear and distinct decision. He would have to choose which life he would live. Moses had, as we know the end of the story as the readers now, he had two choices. He could maintain the status quo of his life, stay in the palace, and ultimately live beneath his purpose and calling of God. Or he could choose the call of God, walk away from the family which he knew. Now, we are very comfortable talking about the story of Moses. We are the readers of the end of the story. We, we know by now, if you've been reading your Bible for any length of time, we know by now when you start rereading the, the story from the beginning, you already know how it ends. So we're very comfortable talking about the life and times of Moses. We're comfortable even talking about how he walked away from everything that he knew. And, and I appreciate the worship this evening because I find that worship, if you, if you don't understand any other reason for worship tonight, worship is a sedative that allows us to take the Word of God when it's not something that makes us shout. So I'm stepping tonight into a spiritual operating room and I'm thankful for the anesthetic and the physician who has gone before us to help us lay the groundwork for what he would like to say to his people tonight. We're comfortable talking about Moses because it's not us. It's okay for us to talk about how Moses suffered. It's okay for us to talk about how Moses went through persecution from those that he thought loved him because he went to the other side. We don't even mind... Uh, understanding that Moses walked away from family. Amen. It's easy to talk about. Moses walked away from family. Say, so Brother Mason, it wasn't his real family. He didn't know that yet. As far as he knew, it was his family. Moses walked away, and it's okay. I'm not trying to be sarcastic tonight, but it's okay because it's not us. Right, 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 
What we're not okay with as human beings in the 21st century oftentimes is hearing that God expects us to make similar changes in our life. It's hearing that we're not always right. And sometimes God wants us to change. It's hearing that our perception of rightness or correctness does not always equal God's perception. Hearing that God expects us to put Him before family. We're not always okay with that. We're not always, I realize I may appear tonight like I'm starting at the end, but I'm really not. But we're not always okay with hearing that God expects us to put Him front and center of every single thing we do. We're not always okay hearing pastor tell us in marriage teaching that husbands, you're to put God before your wife. We're not always okay hearing us say in marriage teachings, wives, put God before your husbands. The recipe to having a happy marriage is making sure you don't put your spouse above God. Amen. We're not always okay hearing that. I didn't come to preach on that tonight. I'm just identifying what we're not okay with. We're not always all right hearing that. We don't like to hear that. Hearing that God values obedience over excuses. And that he might not be as understanding as we point him out to be sometimes. He's an understanding God. He's a loving God. He's a faithful God. He's a gracious God. But the Bible in the Old Testament also says he's a terrible God. So, Brother Cook, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to articulate tonight the option that God might not be as understanding as we think he is. So when we start hearing these types of things and we start discussing them or, or, or someone else starts discussing them, we don't talk about them because we don't want to think about it. But when we start hearing a pastor or bishop or, or myself or an evangelist or anybody who steps up to this sacred desk and begins to dare in, in, influence us that God wants our all, things tend to get a little uncomfortable. Because here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. You can say all amen all you want to. That doesn't mean you believe it. It means you're putting on a good show for the person sitting next to you because you don't want them to know you don't believe it. Amen. So things get a little uncomfortable. Things get a little edgy. When we start declaring that God's word, word is meant for each and every one of us and that it's more than a fairy tale. Amen. When, when we start declaring that God's word and his declaration goes against our own personal agenda, we start shifting like a worm in hot ashes because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't really like the essence of what's being spoken. When we dare have enough boldness to get behind a pulpit and declare that living for God requires more than being nice, polite, and generous. Be as nice as you want to. I think the children of God should be. But that 
is not salvation. Amen. Nice is not saved. But you can't be saved and not be nice. We're going to get there. When we dare say that living for God requires more than just church attendance. Checking in and checking out don't save. Coming, it's important. We focus on that a lot because people don't. And we cannot underestimate the value of small things. And God honors consistency. God honors faithfulness. But that doesn't save us. What you do when you're here makes the difference. But also, when we dare have the audacity to say that you can't stay saved without going to church, people start getting a little if you're a little astute with your senses right now, you would understand that it's a tad bit stiff in this moment because you don't know what I'm going to say next. Normally, it takes us a while to warm up before we start getting this bold. I didn't have that option tonight. People start getting a little uncomfortable. As long as we tell stories like we're in a kindergarten Sunday school class and there's no conviction or change involved, we're okay. But the moment we dare say we're de- we need to be doing something different, we start getting uncomfortable. Because there's a spirit of this age that says, don't tell me what to do. There's a spirit of this age, and, and, and it's present. It's present. If you are going to be honest with yourself and with God, and if you are an employee in any public facility you have witnessed it it's present I have employees who walk out before lunch because they don't want to be told what to do people don't like being told what to do but the Bible is not 21st century centric It is what it was, and it is what it is, and it is what it's going to be, and that's the eternal Word of God. As soon as we start talking about things like faithfulness, commitment, sacrifice, giving, change, people start getting uncomfortable. I want to pause right here and remind us that the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1.21 and said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The plan of salvation, ladies and gentlemen, never called for us to stay the same and just attend church, pat our hands, say an amen, and go home feeling all warm and fuzzy. But God's plan for man calls for us to change. Hallelujah. I, I, I hate, 
I hate to sound like the prophet Jeremiah tonight and, and, and sound all gloom and doom and negative, but let, let me remind you tonight that feeling good doesn't mean you're saved. We've got a few things backwards in this hour that come into church and as long as I feel good, I must be doing all right. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say anything about feeling good equals you're good. Because the decadence of man is so deep and severe in the heart of man, who can know it? That there are murderers out here, as soon as they pull the trigger, they feel good. So good doesn't mean I'm doing all right. Good may mean, it may mean I need to take an inventory. <laughs> if I'm feeling too confident with myself and where I'm at, I might just need to hit an altar and say, Search me, O Lord. And know my thoughts. We're not praying that prayer enough. And I would declare tonight that some avoid praying that, that verse of Scripture simply because we don't want God to look at our thoughts. Amen. So, if you're buckling under the pressure and the scrutiny of family, avoiding a real God change, because you fear what they're going to say or think. I've got a couple of questions for you. How are you going to explain that to God when you see Him face to face? And, and if you're misunderstanding me tonight, I am preaching for you. Not against you. And in the tadness of uncomfortableness, you may not understand the difference in this moment. But hopefully you will someday. Another question I would pose to you this evening is, when did your salvation, which comes only from God, become less important than your family's opinion? Pastor preached a message recently. And he preached it on the scripture. Put ye first the kingdom of God. I think it was a Wednesday night message. If you were not here that Wednesday night, regardless of the reason, you need to get it. Buy the CD. Hook up to it on podcast. Every single person who walks into these church doors needs to hear that message. Uh, you miss the visuals that accompany it. But you, you need to hear that message. It's a must. It, you need to put it on your bucket list for January. It's a must. You need to understand the, the logistics of God's Word and how it applies to your life when you put God first. We've got to think differently in the apostolic church than the world thinks. We can't afford to fall into this umbrella of relevance and get so sensitive that we're afraid to declare the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get our feelings off of our shoulder tonight. Let's let the Holy Ghost take charge. And let's understand that if you truly and genuinely put God first, you will have a desire to hear the word of God. We've changed. Uh -huh. 
I, I may be preaching to our more tenured saints tonight more than our newer folks. And if that's a case to our new folks, I apologize. Just stay with me. I'll try to make it as interesting as I can. But, but, but we have changed. Something's different. I, I'm not an expert on the subject, but if I look over my shoulder and I see far gone days past of where we have been, Bishop, and where we're at now, everything I see now is not bad. There's things we do now we didn't do then, but there's plenty we don't do now that we did do then. We've walked away from some things. I fear we're on the track to losing our first love and it's high time we repent and do our first works over because I want my candlestick lit. I want the light of God flaming in this house and we need to understand that God's word is forever settled. But we put so much before God. I'm not trying to provoke you to anger tonight. I want to provoke you to think. I want to provoke you to repentance. I want to provoke you to look at the word of God and just see if I might be right. But I've got one more question to ponder. And this this uh, this is as blunt as I hope to be in this message. But, but I, I need to be clear because we, we tiptoe around the tulips so much we lose the meaning of what it is we're trying to say. And I understand we live in a sensitive hour. We've got a presidential candidate who got on Facebook and held up a billboard that said Merry Christmas. And it's caught more attention than those who want to kill us. We live in a sensitive hour where everybody's got their feelings on their shoulder and everybody's looking for a reason to be offended. So if that's you, I'm getting ready to hand you some offense on a silver platter. I pray that's not you. But I need to ask you a question tonight. When, help me Jesus, When did going to hell start taking more value than going to heaven? Because ladies and gentlemen, there are only two options. When you remove all the fluff, the lights, the speakers, the fan, the decorations, the music, and the singing. When you remove all of the extras, at the end of it all, we'll be stripped down to just our base self. There's two destinations. You're either going to heaven. Help us, Lord. There are no other options. And there is an adversary who hates you. Pastor, I just don't know what I've done. Maybe the right thing. Nothing wakes up your devil more than your relationship with God.
need we need an awakening in this hour touch your neighbor tonight and tell him I want to be awakened a declaration was made to the Egyptian Pharaoh through God's man Moses and he declared let my people go you know the story they were in bondage they desired freedom they couldn't get loose without someone letting them go similarly we have certain types of bondages in our lives that disrupt our walk with God however these are of our own doing our choices decide whether or not we're held in the bondage of our adversary I've come tonight to make a different declaration but one that is no less important and it also focuses on releasing God's people from their bondage and I present this to you tonight as if it's a statement from God himself instead of let my people go I've come to declare tonight my people let go my people God speaking let go God led Moses and his people to a mountain called Sinai. On Sinai, God gave Moses the law and the tabernacle plan. After this, God led his people directly to the land of promise. The promised land is full of enemies that God is going to deliver into the hands of his people. God gives Moses instructions and he sends out spies to search the land of Canaan. Twelve men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, go out to the land of Canaan to search it out. And among the twelve men, we must take note specifically of two of these men. Their names are, as you know them, Joshua and Caleb. Numbers chapter 13 and 17 says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go into the mountain and see the land what it is and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in it, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether they be wood therein or not and be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land they were given specific instructions see what the land is see where there are few and where there are many see what kind of land they live in is it good land is it fertile soil? Is it bad soil? Is it good land? See what kind of cities they live in. Are they walled and fortified? Or are they just villages and tents? See where they're weak and where they are strong. The whole concept of these spies, the whole strategy that God was given was for them to go and to determine how they were going to conquer the promised land. They were to return with the design of the land and its inhabitants so they could plan their attacks. Because you're not going to send 5,000 soldiers against 100 people. And likewise, you're not going to send 100 soldiers up against 5,000 people. So they needed to know what they were going up against. They needed to know how they were going to accomplish this great feat of taking the promised land. It's important that we know what God did not instruct them to do. They were not told to go and determine if they could conquer. 
They were instructed, go and see. They were going to go and determine how they would, not if they could. Ladies and gentlemen, our adversary today wants to confuse you between the difference of how you're going to get your victory versus if you are going to live a victorious life. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand clearly today that it is not the will of God that we determine uh, what is going to happen. It's the will of God that we determine, God, I want you to say how it's going to happen. Not if. We live in an if society too much. In the church world, we say if way too much. We need to stop using that preposition and replace it with how. I don't know if God's going to. No, I don't know how God's going to do it. Clap your hands to the Lord. Numbers 13. 25. I have quite a bit of reading if you'll just follow with me. Numbers 13 and 25 declares, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought backward unto them and to all the congregation and showed them into the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest. This is the report. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Report's not so bad so far. Nevertheless, the people be strong. It didn't take them long to turn negative. The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell on the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They come back and already they're starting to say, we can't do this. They're too much. They're too strong. They've already strayed from their mission. They've already lost focus that they were told to go see how, not if. But as soon as they set sights on their giant, they themselves determined this is too big for us. I'll tell you tonight in the spirit that I believe that there are too many victories we have lost not because God isn't interested but we have lost them because we've made God too small. We have self-determined God can't heal cancer. We have self-determined God can't do this. God can't do that. And we've said if and if and if and we've ifed ourselves out of a victory when all God's wanting us to declare is how... Continue on in my reading in verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. Finally, somebody with some sense. He says, Hey! I could put it in 21st century vernacular. Hey, shut up! You're not supposed to use those words in public speaking, but tonight I think it's appropriate. He's wanting to get everybody's attention. Hey, wait just a second. Ten men have been blabbering at the mouth. Oh, oh, they're too big. They're too big for us. I can't do it. I'm scared. And finally, 
Caleb stands up and says, Hey, are you a bunch of men or a bunch of mice? Listen to what I've got to declare. Let us go up, not tomorrow, not after we work out and get our bench press up a time or two, not after we declare we're just a little bit stronger than we are today. Not after we give Junior a little bit more time to grow some inches in height. He said, let us go up at once. Why? Because Caleb didn't lose his vision of the mission. Caleb understood it wasn't a matter of if. Caleb understood that God was not in question. God was not on trial. The power of God was not the question of the hour. The question of the hour was how are we going to do it? I may not know how it's going to be done, but I can declare it tonight in the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how. We should go up now, Caleb says, for we are very capable of doing this. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. You have got to stop negativizing and minimizing God. You will never get anything out of a worship service that you don't put in. The person, the person who leaves a service and says, there are, there are few exceptions to this. I admit that I have attended a couple. They were not in this church. But the person who leaves a church service, an apostolic church service, and says, that was a waste of time. Didn't put anything in it. I saw these kids this morning standing up here. Man, didn't they do a great job. I know some of them's not here, but in case they listen to the podcast for whatever reason, I want them to know they did a great job. And to our viewing, listening, not viewing audience, but our listening audience in days to come, I want you to know they did a good job. But a couple of them got up here and they got shook. And I thought, man, that's so healthy. From a, a public be in front of people perspective, it was so healthy. I don't want them to be embarrassed, but again, we oversensitize so, sensitize so much. You don't get used to being in front of people if you're not in front of them. And there's some of you that'll sit back there and you'll scream amen. You come up here, you'll do the same thing those kids did. Uh... Uh, Pastor You know I'm telling the truth 
You're all right as long as not everybody's looking at you. And that's okay. Just don't judge the people who do it so quickly. What's that got to do with your message? I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with my message. We check out too quick. Something goes wrong. Well, I guess God's just not for me. Something goes wrong. Ooh. I guess God just don't love me. Where did you ever see that just because God loves you, that everything is supposed to be great? I want to see that book. I need a copy of that on my, my head, headboard. I'll put it right where I sleep. There is nowhere in God's holy writ that he ever said every day was going to be great. But great is the one that holds every day. Great is the one that holds the how in his hands. Great is the one that I'm able to surrender my gifts and let him say how. Come on, Caleb, speak to us. Let's go up and possess it. I gotta stop screaming or I'm not gonna make it through this whole thing. Verse 32 says, And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and listen to it now. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. I have to stop right here and explain. No one else told them that but themselves. Oh, help us, Jesus. We are living in a spirit age of intimidation. There are some of you that used to do things in church. You don't even consider anymore. Well, it just got real quiet. I believe, and if I'm wrong, pastor can clean it up and tell me later. He's right and I'm wrong. But I believe that if God has at one time used you in the gifts of the Spirit, that God doesn't intend for you to go decades without operating in that gift. We've changed. We need course correction. We need an understanding that if we used to be used of God in a certain area and we're no longer used in God, of God in that area, what changed? Who moved? Again, I understand I'm not talking to our newer folks tonight. Not right now. But I'm talking to those who have known God long enough 
to know the difference. These men brought, the Bible says, an evil report. All they were told to do was how. And they made how an if. Let me tell you what that spells. That's a revelation of this hour. Let me tell you what it is. It's an inability to submit. I'm already on the limb, and I think I've already sawed off the branch, and it's going to fall before it's over, so I might as well just go for broke. I might have to retire early, Pastor. It's an inability to submit. We live in an hour, not just in the church. We live in a society where submission is a foreign concept. So if it's like that out there, on the job, in the home, Quiet is often a determinant of hitting the nail on the head. In the home. Then we must understand it's also that way in the church. You will err in bringing 21st century thinking into an ancient of days church service. God doesn't think the way we think. He's not a democratic God. And I'm not talking about party lines. I'm just talking about democracy. God is not a democratic God. Our church society is not a democracy. We don't take polls to see what you want to do next. It is the Word of God. No one told them, but them. And the reason why is because they would not submit to the instructions they were given. They were told, figure out how. They refused to figure out how because they couldn't imagine faith and trust in those who sent them. I know I'm preaching right now. But they were sent on a mission they had leaders that sent them on a mission and all their report did was tell their leader I don't trust you because you said how and I went and I, I'm telling you it's not how it's if it's a spirit of arrogance that causes us not to submit because we think we know better So in two years' time, God has punished the most powerful nation on earth with ten plagues. He's brought mighty Egyptian nation to its knees before Israel. He's freed them from bondage. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's drowned an Egyptian army in the Red Sea, which some scientists say was only three inches deep with water. This is where we have to Tighten the belt and hold on in our belief. 
Because scientists want to declare that there was only three inches of water in the Red Sea at that time, how could they possibly have drowned an army so the Word of God must not be correct? I'll tell you, I believe in the Word of God so severely and deeply tonight that if that is indeed a fact, that God must have drowned Pharaoh's army in three inches of water. Depth matters not. Volume of water matters not. The Bible says he separated it and they walked on dry ground. Led them through the wilderness. Gave them water to drink. Gave them manna to eat. Conquering the land of promise. I don't know. It's common sense to us readers now because we see the end of the story. But when they were living it, they couldn't see how, how easy it was compared to everything else God had already done for them. So there's some things we need to let go of. And I'm hurrying. We need to let go of doubt and disobedience. Because the two are connected. You don't have disobedience without doubt. Doubt indicates a lack of trust. Now, I realize we're not God, and it's a good thing we're not. But just imagine with me if a mo for a moment if you were, because I can imagine what we're like in our natural lives, but if you were God, would you want to do something for someone that didn't believe in you? We often judge the Israelites harshly because we can see the end of the story. So how could they possibly act so ignorantly? On the flip side, how are we different? How are we different? In many ways, we're the same. We can't see the end of our trial from here. So we give up early. Wave the flag. I'm done, Bishop. I can't do it anymore. Well, you never could do it to begin with. It wasn't about you. It's about God. When we make it about you, it's about if. Because our strength is only so good, but when we make it about God, it's how. God, am I going to come out of this trial? It's not a question of am I. It's a question of how. When we make it about if, we try to determine how it's going to be done. And if the outcome is not what we like, if the outcome's not what we like, then all of a sudden God didn't answer our prayer. Let me give you an example. And I'll use myself as an example, so if you get mad, I really don't understand why. I have several different types of problems with my ears. Several different diseases that according to the doctors, they will never go away. And every one of them combined cause a continual version of vertigo 
that I live with every day. There's not a day that goes by that I do not have some sense of dizziness. There's not a moment, and I'm not looking for sympathy tonight, I'm just explaining. There's not a church service that goes by singing that I don't black out at least once and see the room go like this while playing and singing. There's not a time that I don't preach within the last two years continuing unto now that while standing here that I literally, I'm holding on just because I don't have anything better to do with this hand but it's so I don't hit the floor. But he's still a healer. And by comparison to where I have been, he has healed me. Let's not confuse the difference between a miracle and healing. If you want a miracle, ask God for a miracle and believe for the how. But if you're asking God for healing, let him take his progressive time. It's a process. Let me tell you what else also is included in that process. There were certain things I had to remove from my diet. You say, well, by looking at you, it didn't help much. Well, maybe not. But by the way I feel. Brother Malone, my doctor looked at me and he said, you need to eliminate this and this. Are you serious? The moment he said that, one of them was caffeine. This was six years ago. Because he is held as the best ear, nose, throat doctor in the tri-state area outside of Nashville and Indianapolis. And he looked at me and he said, you're special. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. No Christmas gift for you. He said, I honestly don't know what to do. My shoulders sank, Brother Freddie. My God, I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. He said, yes. He said, but there's a few things we can toy with and we can try to see if it helps. He said, the first thing you need to do is you need to eliminate caffeine from your diet. Now, in the moment he said that, if you know anything about my affection for coffee, you know I don't touch Folgers or Maxwell House. Brother Terry, I'm going for the strong stuff. I want it, I want it pouring out like molasses. And I want it standing up three days later. Triple, quadruple shot espresso. Chase it with a Mountain Dew and then have another cup of coffee. So when he said cut caffeine from your diet, Pastor, I was scared. I said, are you, are you serious? He said, I'm serious. He said, he said, we don't even understand why. He said, but there's a connection. 
He said, we know there's a connection. We don't know why, but we know there's a connection. He said, so I'll tell you this. Try it for a month. If it works, never drink caffeine again. He said, if it don't work, drink your caffeine because it's not going to matter. And he said, enjoy yourself. It's a deal. I felt just a little bit better. Aside from the fact that whenever I started, it started helping. Now, I think I went through withdrawals like a drug addict for three months. And it was the worst three months of my life. Physically. But when I came out of it, I was stronger and I was better. Did it eliminate my spells? No, but it made my recovery quicker. Where it used to ground me for seven days flat on my back, now it might be a day, day and a half at the worst. Why are you telling us this? I'm telling you because... I had a contributing element to my victory. Too often we are dependent solely on God thinking that we have no influence in the matter. I'll just do whatever I want to and let God take up the slack. I'm way behind schedule. The whole assembly lifted up their voice. The children of Israel, they lifted up their voice, weeping and sobbing at this negative, evil report of these ten blabbering men. You know what that is? That was nothing but drama. Plain and simple. Why do you say that? Because they were not weeping in the Spirit. They were not wailing after the Spirit of God or the Ark of the Covenant to come into their midst because they went from weeping, the Bible says, to murmuring. Better watch out what your cry is about. Because if your cry doesn't take you to repentance... Or if your cry doesn't take you to consecration, you're not crying in the Spirit. They talked about appointing them a captain to take them back to Egypt. Now, I've already taken you through a laundry list of things that God has done for them and pulled them through. And now they want to go back just for the sake of three square meals? We need to let go of our escape plan. You need to approach your life with God all or nothing. This is not a compromising 50-50 relationship. God, I'm in. God, I'm in. God, I'm in. God, I'm in. Church just shouldn't be some journey that if it works out, great, but if it not, I'm on my way. If you make church and your walk with God optional, I guarantee you undeniably and unequivocally it will become the option. 
That's not God's design. Walking away from God doesn't take away from his realness. It's like kids when you're a child and you're scared. There's something, something about kids. Maybe some of you adults do it too. I don't know. I wouldn't admit it if you did. But maybe, you know, some children, when they get scared, they want to pull the covers up. Because if I can't see it, it's not real. You know, if I close my eyes, the, the guy that's there with a the knife wanting to stab me, he, he disappears as soon as I close my eyes. The evil's just gone. Well, we know that's not real. We know that's not how it is. So walking away from God doesn't take away from the fact that God never walked away from you. So God, God gets angry with his people. And I'm going to fast forward just a little bit for the sake of time. But God, God gets angry with his people. And, and he puts a punishment on them. And, and there's a certain group of people among this, these in the children of Israel. He tells them, you're going to die in the wilderness. They have spent 40 days in the wilderness just wandering around. So God cursed them for a year per day. And said this, this journey that by geography tells us should only have taken 11 days. Now they're cursed to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. It wasn't because they couldn't find where they were going. They were disobedient. I know it gets stiff and cold when we start talking about submission and obedience, but you're not understanding how important it is to God. So he said, you're going to die in the wilderness. Your children, if they're 20 and under, they're going to make it. That's what God said. Sentence was passed by God. People, they finally, finally realized and started mourning. But let me ask you a question tonight. How much more does God really need to do to you to prove to you? It's like every time we go through a, a trial, God's put back on trial. All right, God, you prove yourself to me this time. I'll, I'll live for you. He pulls through one more time. And then we, get, we, we push the limitations of God so far that he finally just says, you know what, if you don't want to love me because you love me, I'm done. And then the next trial we go through, God's not there, and we say, well, he never loved me anyway. He loves you so much that he will not compromise what he stands for. But they they, 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 they want to select this captain. They want to go back. They're murmuring. They're complaining. They're complaining about Moses and Aaron. What they failed to understand in that moment was that by complaint. Now, this goes against 21st century knowledge, so just hold on to me for just a minute. They failed to understand that by complaining about Moses and Aaron, they were complaining about God. What, what, what are you saying? Moses, Moses was their Pastor McGee. Now, he didn't ask me to say this tonight, but I'm going to say it. Because I think it needs to be said, because we're human and we're flesh, and if we don't hear it, we won't practice it. 
So we need, we need to hear it. What, I grew up hearing a statement that which ceases to be preached ceases to be practiced. And oh, is that ever so true? I realize that we, the beauty of our salvation, Bishop, is that we can go to God ourselves. I realize that. Perhaps we don't do that enough. But I realize that's the beauty of our salvation. We don't have to come to someone and say, uh, will you talk to God for me? We don't have to wait once a year. We can go straight to God. But let me, let me make sure that you understand something very clearly. When it comes to the breaking of the Word of God, in the presence, in the house of God, no matter what type of session it is, if it's in the office, in a one-on-one, -on -one, or behind this sacred desk, this is God to you. The voice. I'm not saying you worship Him, but you listen to Him. He is God's man for this hour, and it's His voice we listen to. Let me tell you something. I feel this so strongly, and I've got enough Bible to back up what I'm saying tonight if you want to challenge it. But let me, just, just hear me out. If you approach God directly, as you should, on a Wednesday morning, and you come to church that night, and pastor gets up and preaches something, and it's the, the direct opposite of what you thought God declared to you that morning. There's only one of you that's right. Well, I feel that spirit of arrogance rising in this moment. But I'm telling you, I'm in the book. I'm in the Word of God. And if he gets up and declares something... God's right. It's happened to me. It's happened to me, Bishop. I'm not so good that I can't hear what God says through his man. There's been some things I've thought before. I'm just as opinionated as the next person. Can be. I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. Or at least I'm a whole lot better at keeping it to myself than I used to be. I still have the opinions. And I've come to church over the years, bishop, pastor, my father, evangelists, conferences, and I've had somebody completely annihilate the very thing that I thought. You want to know what my first reaction was? Not. First thing I did wasn't shout. First thing I did wasn't say amen. The first thing I did was, huh, how about that? Come on, we just need to get real with each other. How about that? Why? Because your flesh don't like it. We don't, I don't know one of you that likes being wrong. But if we'll build submission into our life, we'll benefit from it. I'm hastening on. We need to let go of intimidation and fear. 
Joshua was told, you're going to succeed. Moses is gone at this point. Joshua was told, you're going to. He said, Joshua 1 and 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Why? Because Joshua was one of the two men that focused on the how. What you declare in this moment affects who you are ten years from now. That's why every move we make needs to be seasoned with the salt of the Word of God and with prayer because who we are and what we're declaring now affects who we become. I just don't have time. We need to let go of our idols. What, what, what idol are you referring to? I'm referring specifically through this particular story. In Joshua chapter 1, I'm referring to the fact that they were crossing Jordan and they were told, when you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, follow it. Well, you know, that's good and great. And I realize the Ark of the Covenant represented the Spirit of God. But you know what? I also believe in that moment, all they were doing was following a box. And it's interesting to me that people will follow a box before they will the Spirit. We need to let go of our idols. Yes, the ark was sacred, but it, it, it was just a representation. It wasn't the Spirit of God. If you have the Holy Ghost tonight, you have more power than that box did. But we want to idolize the children of Israel following after a box when we've got the God of the box in our life. We have God in us. My people, let go. There's things that we hang on to and they hurt us. They hurt us bad. We need to let go of doubt and disobedience. We need to let go of our escape plan. We need to let go of our complaining. Man, I could spend 30 minutes on each of these. I just don't have the time. We need to let go of intimidation and fear. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Stand with me tonight, if you will. I don't even know how, how to bring this to an altar call tonight. There's things we need to let go of. I, I, I've preached too long, but the hour's still early. It's at this moment, if, if, you'll, if you'll just kind of shut your eyes and just bow your head, and just have, have, have a spirit and a season of, of worship, mind, and prayer for a moment. It's in this moment we determine the shelf life of the Word of God. It's not the amens you render. It's in this moment you either accept or reject. This is the critical moment. I, I know sometimes we, we get hurried in this life and at this moment where we've got our, our set, eyes set on the, the car and the restaurant and we're ready to go. But it's at this moment 
we determine, am I going to accept this or am I going to reject this? This altar is open tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.